you would, let's bow our heads and pray before we get into the word this morning. Father, we, we love you, Jesus. We just thank you for this time we have together, Lord, to be in your word. Father, we pray that uh, as we dive into your word, Lord, that you speak to us through these words on these pages, Father, that we know came from you. This is your word, God. It belongs to you. So, Lord, we just pray this morning, Father, that you would write it on our hearts, that you would scratch it into our hearts, God, that we would not forget it, that it would never be wiped off, that it would be ingrained in us, your teachings from your word. Father, let us see it as truth. And Lord, as we, as we uh, move throughout our weeks and move throughout our day today, our months and our years, God, we let this word lead us and we abide in it, Father. We feel the, the push of our heart, the push of the Holy Spirit to abide in your word and to follow you the way that you've called us to follow you, Lord. That's what we pray today. Father, be with us as we dive into your word. And in all things today that come out of this service, that come out of our worship to you, we just want to glorify you, Lord. So all glory to you in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, well, good morning, church. How we doing? All right, go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, we're going to be um, completing chapter 3, verse, 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to be finishing out chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to be, so we're going to start this morning in verse 13. And as you're doing that, as you're pulling out your copy of God's Word, I want to give us a quick recap of where we are in this line-by-line, verse-by-verse series in 1 Peter. Um, we know that, if you've been with us from the beginning, we know that that. This, uh, this message, this letter that First Peter is writing to the churches, he's writing to the persecuted Christians in Asia Minor, that what's now modern-day Turkey. And these people have come under the persecution of the Roman Empire and be, are, are being persecuted for their faith. In chapter 1, Peter reminds us that, that these, and these Christ followers, that they have a living hope in Jesus. And that hope should affect the way that they live their lives. And so we dug into that in chapter 1. For a few weeks, we sat into how are we supposed to live now that we know we have a living hope in Christ. And that hope, again, as it affects the way that we live, also affects the way that we walk in the world, right? He goes deeper into, as he goes into chapter 2, where God's word gives us commands on how we are to be living stones and how we are to walk and live like Jesus amongst the world. In certain aspects of our lives, such as our submission to authority or in our relationships with one another. As we're finishing up chapter 3 this morning, we're going to dive right in. Peter's going to talk extensively now about how we as Christ followers are to handle suffering in general. So though we are persecuted, how are we supposed to handle and withstand the suffering that we will face for righteousness? So when we walk like Jesus... We know that persecution will come. Right, we have to know this as followers of Jesus. We can see this in the world today. Right, we are walking opposite the direction of the world. We're going to stand out. And the Bible tells us that when we are walking in the way of righteousness, we will be persecuted for that. We will experience persecution just as Jesus did. As living stones, as followers of Jesus, the people who are called to proclaim him, we will be writing this letter to the Christ followers, to, to those Christ followers, to ensure that there's no surprise in their persecution, that they're not shocked when they're persecuted for, their, for acting in righteousness, for their faith in Christ. So they're 100% equipped and able to withstand this persecution. So as we dive into the text this morning, P- 
Peter's going to show us four things that we are to remember as we are suffering unjustly for righteousness. And the first thing we're going to see uh, is in verse 13 and 14. It's going to be this. We must remember that we will be blessed through this persecution and through this suffering. Look with me in verses 13 of 1 Peter chapter 3. It says this. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So as we open up this last paragraph in these first two verses, verses 13 and 14, we see Peter state two points in these first two verses. The first thing he states is this, that Christ's followers should be zealous for what is good. We're to be zealous for what is good. We are called throughout the Bible to pursue goodness, right? If we look through all the texts of the Bible, constantly God is calling his people. Jesus is calling the church and his disciples to be good, to strive for goodness, right? Don't steal, don't covet, don't lie, don't commit adultery or practice sexual immorality. These are are all things that he tells us to pursue. In fact, there are many more lines of scripture throughout the entire Bible that command us to not do bad, but instead to pursue good. And as we pursue these good things that God commands us to pursue, it will produce a godly life. Through our pursuance, through our abiding of God in his word, abiding in what he's commanded us to do, we will pursue a godly life. And the word is calling us here to always be zealous for that, pursuing the godly life. Be pursuing, zealous in pursuing what is good. Because if you do, who can accuse you of wrong? Right? Verse 14. But even if you, I'm sorry, verse 13. Now, if there is no, if there is to, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Right? Who will be there to accuse you if your acts are good? But he switches it up in verse 14. Right? He switches his tone when he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. So he's saying, even if you do good, you may suffer for righteousness sake. Right? We need to clarify here what he means by that, what he means by suffering for righteousness sake. Often we have to understand that our self-suffering is self-induced. Right? We can't confuse suffering for righteousness sake for suffering because of our sin. It's, it's, it's very different in that. In fact, Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines those he loves. So sometimes you're going through some suffering and it's discipline. Right? You're being disciplined by the Lord in, a, in a, maybe a sin pattern that you have in your life. This is not what a Peter is addressing here. He's implying here that there are maybe times that you are living a godly life where you're pursuing what is good and yet still you'll be persecuted and suffer for it. So Peter states here two uncommon responses we are to have to this suffering for righteousness. The first thing he says is that it's a blessing and we should be happy about it. The second thing he says that we are not to fear those who are persecuting us or to be troubled by the fact that we're suffering for righteousness. The Bible instead calls us to be willing to endure unjust suffering. And again, it says we shouldn't be happy about it. If if you're reading the KJV translation, the King James version of the translation of this line right here, it says this. If you suffer for righteousness sake, 
happy are you? It's a blessing to suffer for righteousness. Now, this is an unnatural response, isn't it? Like when I, when I think of suffering, in my head, I think of bad things. Right? There's nothing happy or blessed about suffering. Right? When I think of suffering, words like happy and blessed don't come to my mind. And not only that, Peter says, don't fear or be troubled. But when I think about the suffering that these Christians in Asia Minor that Peter's writing to, what they went through, they were being burned at the stake and beheaded and crucified, I, fear wells up in me. Like, how would you not be afraid? I, I mean, think about who he's writing to here. People, they're watching people be murdered for their faith. That fear rushes into me as I think about the suffering that they endured. But God's word tells us here today not to fear because we will be blessed when we suffer for righteousness. It says, do not fear. You'll be blessed when you suffer for righteousness. In fact, look what the apostle Paul says to, uh, on this topic of being blessed in suffering. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal right there is glory to come there is glory beyond all comparison paul states it is an eternity in heaven with jesus we are blessed with an imperishable inheritance kept in heaven for us. We discovered that. In fact, Peter says that in chapter 1, that you will be blessed with an imperishable inheritance through Jesus. The suffering we may be going through is momentary. But the glory that comes out of this suffering, the Bible says, is forever. It's imperishable. As we move deeper into our text today, that fact, Peter's going to really drive home that fact. It will become more evident to us that we are called not to concentrate on the momentary affliction of our suffering, but instead to look at the finished work of Jesus at all times, the hope and the blessings that we have in him and through him. And that's where Peter's going to lead us next. As we get our eyes back on the text here in verse 15 through 17, he says this, starting in verse 15, Coming out of 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. The truth that God's word is leading to us here in these two verses is this. When we are suffering for righteousness, we must remember that Jesus is holy. Right, that's where our minds and our hearts have to go. Jesus is holy. Right, Peter states, instead of fearing man, we are to, in our hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Right, always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that we have in us. 
Now, as we dig into this, I think that the, the King James translation of this line is actually a bit easier to understand. In verse 15, the KJV says this, but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Right, the first word we have to look at here is this word sanctify. Right, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This word is translated from the Greek word that means set apart or to make holy. So even in the face of suffering, we must set Jesus apart and focus only on his holiness. Right, this is taking our eyes and our hearts from our present circumstance, our physical circumstance, and getting them on Jesus. Instead of concentrating on what's happening to you, concentrate on the fact that you serve a holy God. When Jesus is set apart and worshiped as the one true holy God, it will lead our hearts to submit to him even in suffering. Even when we're suffering for the fact that we're following Jesus, the fact that we look upon him as a holy God will lead us to continue being obedient to him in his word, even in suffering. Right? We submit to a powerful God. The Bible shows us that. A holy God, through his gospel, gives us our only hope to escape eternal death. Right? That, that's, what, that's the hope we have in us. That's what motivates us to continue to worship him. The fact that he has given us an internal inheritance, the hope that we have in him. And Peter tells us next to give account of this hope we have in Jesus, right? To always be prepared to give account to the hope that we have in Christ. In persecution and suffering, many will question the gospel that we believe and question why we place our faith in that gospel. As Christ followers, we need to be prepared always to defend the faith, to defend our faith in Jesus. When this word make defense that Peter uses here, this means to have a response, right? To respond. This is a a judicial term, this make defense in the Greek. This is a response to why you have the stance that you have. Why do you worship and follow Jesus? Even even if it causes you to suffer for him. Why do you see his word as truth? Why do we abide in the word? Finally, how can we do this? These are questions that we're going to be asking. So how can we effectively defend the faith? Now, there are a few ways to do this, but one way, and my favorite way, is by the word of God, like using the Bible to defend the faith. The truth that this book is the word of God is so evident if you read it. The issue is that not many people, including people who are persecuting the church, will get their eyes on this text. However, there are so many places in God's word, in the Bible, we can lead people to, to show its validity as it proclaims Jesus as Christ. We can show these amazing truths to people who question our faith in Jesus and his gospel. I had some trouble finding an example of this to share with you all this morning, but yesterday I was having breakfast with some of the brothers of the church, and and they put me onto this text, and we we all stood in in a circle at Rebecca Park at like 7.30 in the morning. It was like 40 degrees outside, and we just like kind of worshiped through this text in Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is written by King David, 
He describes the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to go through line by line and verse by verse of this text, but I'll just pick, for the sake of time, I'll pick out a few verses to illustrate this point. Psalm 22.1 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, if you read in the, the book of Matthew, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, these are the exact words that came out of his mouth. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you go down further to Psalm 22, 16, the, the, David says, A company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet. Right here, David speaks on crucifixion. And there are many more examples in this psalm, but let's just focus on these two examples alone. Understand something, church. Psalm 22 was written in 585 B.C., almost 600 years before Jesus hung on the cross. And yet he uttered the exact same words, fulfilling the exact prophecy he needed to as he gave up his life for ours. All right, we have evidence of that again in Matthew chapter 27. And not only that, the second example, it was the Romans who physically crucified Jesus. It was the Romans that used crucifixion as the means to crucify Jesus. Understand that this method of execution, it wasn't introduced in Rome till almost 300 years after Psalm 22 was written. Right? Romans, Jews, they had no clue what, what crucifixion was for another 300 years after David writes about it in Psalm 22. We must be prepared to answer the questions of why we believe what we believe. And the truths of what we believe come from the word of God. Through the truths of God's word shows the holiness and power and lordship of Jesus. And it's a holy God that we serve and we abide in him because he is the Lord. And this is why we continue to go on serving the Lord, worshiping him and proclaiming him without fear. All right, because the word of God tells us who Jesus is. He is Lord. Because we have hope not in this world, but in our internal inheritance in Jesus Christ. And it's the word that tells us today that we are to be ready at all times to give account of this hope that we have in Jesus. And the reason our lives as Christ followers look different the reason we're always constantly walking against the grain of a, a lost and sinful world, especially in times of suffering, even if we're suffering. We proclaim, when we proclaim the hope we have in Jesus, we are to do it with meekness or gentleness and in fear of the Lord, the Bible says. We defend the faith in gentleness and fear, not the fact to exalt ourselves for the fact that we are serving and being righteous even in suffering, but it's Jesus who we exalt, and who, 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 as we are about to be reminded, suffered first for all. Read with me in verse uh, 18 here of chapter 3. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Church, we must remember, even when we're suffering unjustly, that Jesus suffered first. He suffered first. Verse 18 is showing us here, remember what we have seen in previous weeks as we have walked through this letter line by line. 
Uh, if, in fact, look with me in chapter 2. Just look up here in chapter 2, um, in verse 20, the second half of verse 20. This foundational verse that we find in 1 Peter over and over again is leading us back to this one text. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 21 says, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, right here, church, so that you might follow in his footsteps. We have to remember in times of suffering for righteousness that Jesus suffered for us first, that we are called to this, that this is our calling to walk like Jesus, and that he paved the way first. He was just suffering for the unjust. Right, one thing that's amazing about our Lord, as I came to Christ at 21 years old, one thing that just astounded me about Jesus was that unlike all the other false gods that you could worship in the world, all throughout time, all these other false gods, our one true God never asked us to do a thing that he didn't do first. Instead, he asked us not to go and do something that he's never done first, but he says, follow me. I walk first, you follow in my footsteps. And we do that, right? We abide in, in the word of God and we do that because he suffered one time for all. He did it all the way to death so that he could bring us to God. Uh, that, that line there, so that Jesus could bring us to God. What's that mean? Uh, we can find some clarity on this in, in Romans 5, verse 10, where Paul says we are enemies of God. Uh, we were enemies of the Lord. Through our sin, we became enemies of God. We serve a righteous God, a just God, who must punish us for the sin that we've committed. Everyone in here a sinner? Raise your hand. Amen. Everyone in here is a sinner. But Jesus, but Jesus, bought reconciliation between us and the Lord through him taking our punishment for our sins on the cross. And because of this, our fourth point this morning is this. We must remember that we have victory only through him. Read with me in verse 19 through 22 says this. Peter says, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. Now notice here, verse 19 through 20, Peter states, in which he, Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. These two verses, verses 19 and 20, are the two most difficult verses in the New Testament to grasp. There are, in fact, many schools of thought about what Peter is saying here. Right, there, are, there are many interpretations of these two verses, opinions on where Jesus was 
And who are the spirits in prison that Jesus is proclaiming to? There are many great theologians throughout history have studied these verses and concluded that this text from Peter was still a mystery to them. This text was still a mystery to men like Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon, who both stated that they had their own ideas, their own opinions about what this text could mean, but weren't overly confident in them and believed that there wasn't anyone to date that had a concrete understanding of this. Neither men, neither of these great theologians had a dogmatic stance in which they would preach from the pulpit. I'm going to follow suit today. Though I have a theological opinion on this text, as well as I'm sure individually most of you do, we're going to concentrate on what Peter's saying in this text. We're going to concentrate on what and why Jesus is proclaiming to these spirits. Jesus, whose body lay in Joseph's tomb, He went to the fallen spirits, as the Bible says, who were imprisoned for their disobedience in the time of Noah, and he proclaimed to these fallen spirits. And what was he proclaiming? He's proclaiming that all authority has been given to me. I am Christ. That is what Jesus is proclaiming. And why is he doing this? Why does he go down and, and proclaim to these spirits that he is Christ. Well, the apostle John says in, in 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Right, what were the works of the devil? Well, as we read through the gospels, as we read through even the gospel of Matthew, Satan tried to have Jesus killed as a baby. And he failed. Right? He failed. He had Herod go out and kill all the newborns in the area. Satan tried to have Jesus eliminated as a baby, and he failed. He tried to tempt Jesus to worship him in the, uh, in the um, wilderness. Tried to tempt him with his flesh, to tempt him with the, the desires of man, and he failed. And as the rolled stone of Jesus' tomb was rolled over the opening to it, Satan thought that he finally had victory over Jesus. He was finally victorious, but in this moment that you're reading here, but in, the mom- in this moment, Jesus came and proclaimed, I have victory over sin and death. Right, victory is mine. And that the works of Satan have been destroyed through Jesus. All authority belongs to Jesus. He is Christ. So when we're suffering unjustly, church, when we are struggling to find hope in that suffering, we must remember this. We worship a holy God who suffered first for us, and he has victory over all. We also are victorious through him and only through him. All right, get our eyes back on the text here in verses 20 through 22, it says, again, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through, bat- through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. 
Here, Peter describes the story of Noah as an illustration uh, that because Noah and his family were on the ark, they were saved from death. Right? Everyone who was not on the ark during the flood in Genesis died. But those who were on the ark were saved, saved from the wrath of God. If you read that story at the beginning of the story of Noah, God is angry at the people for who they become. And he's given gives them his wrath. And so he tells Noah to build an ark. And through that, through getting on that ark, Noah and his family are saved. And like, the, like this, the word says that it's that baptism that saves us. Not the physical act of washing of the body, not the physical act of being immersed that saves you. But the fact that we are immersed with Jesus through his death, his burial, and most importantly, his resurrection to defeat death and sin. Like the story of Noah, we deserve God's wrath for our sins, right? If we're in that time, we're standing there on dry ground before it begins flooded with the water. That's what we deserve for our sin. Right? All fall short of the glory of God, and the penalty for sin is death. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus rescued us from that wrath. Just as Noah and his family stepped onto the ark and were saved from the wrath of God, we too, placing our faith in Jesus, can be saved from the wrath that we deserve. It's all about Jesus. I want to tell you a, a, a kind of personal story this week that me and my wife are kind of walking through right now. We, um, And I have to say, I wasn't going to do this, but, but I was called by Brad in the back just to just to kind of share this as we talk about baptism and as we as we look at the 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 representation of baptism as we proclaim Jesus that we physically are dunked in water to proclaim Christ so for a long time we thought my oldest daughter Ruby was ready me and my wife had written her name down we're like we're good to go and in the end a few days ago she came to me with some questions about Jesus some very good questions but it just led me to go as her father to say, it's not time yet. Right? It's not time. That's a hard decision. She's excited for this. She's excited to be baptized. She loves the Lord. The point of the matter is this. We must not concentrate on the act of baptism, but the actual baptism of our hearts. It's our faith in Jesus that saves us. It's only through our faith in Jesus Christ who gave us his life for ours. Romans 10, 9 through 10, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, the heart, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It is all about your faith and hope in Jesus. That is all that matters. We have victory through our faith in Christ alone, through baptism with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. If you have questions, if you're in this room today and you have questions about baptism, maybe you, you've just come to Christ or maybe you, you've been baptized, but you maybe think, oh, I don't know if I, was, if I was really saved and I got baptized as a kid. Whatever it is, come to us, right? Reach out to us through info at therockbible.org. Come up to me and Brad after service. Come up to anyone who's serving on a serve team to tell them I have questions. Right? Let us sit down with you and walk you through it. Let us walk you through, not just saying a prayer with your mouth, but actually placing your faith in Jesus, putting your faith of your eternal life 
everything that hangs in the balance of your eternity after you physically die in the hands of Jesus that he took for you on the cross. We have victory through him in Christ alone. And when you are suffering for righteousness sake, when you are being persecuted and suffering unjustly, we must, we must remember these things that the apostle Peter has taught us today. We suffer because he gives us glory. Right? We were able to withstand suffering because we have victory through Jesus. That's the motivation. Right? Peter's telling us that even if you're suffering unjustly, get your eyes and your heart on Jesus. Right? Don't concentrate on, on the persecutors. Don't concentrate on those who are persecuting you for your faith. Or don't concentrate on the suffering you're going through. Get your eyes and your heart on Christ and worship and glorify him through it. And as verse 22 states, we do this because all authority and power belong to him. Church, in times of suffering, we must remember this as we end out today. The suffering we are going through for Jesus is temporary. Our victory in Jesus is eternal, and that's where our eyes should stay at all times. So let's pray now and worship to him for that as we end out today. Father, we love you, Lord, and Lord, we just thank you for this word. Father, we know that this is a heavy text uh, for us to hear, for us to dig into. Father, this has been a, a heavy hour of, of worship and preaching and hearing their word and diving into it. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, we let this affect our hearts. That if it convicts us, Father, great, that we would move through the next days and weeks and months just, just figuring out where we're not. Lord, for, it's going to look different for all of us, God. But I just pray that this text moves us. I, I don't even know which, which examples to give, Father. But I just pray that you would move the people in this room, myself included, to more align with this text, to more make our lives more aligning with this text, that if persecution or being treated unjustly, whether it's at home or at work or in our marriage or in a friendship or with our parents or whatever it is, Father, that you would speak to us through this text this morning. And that no matter what suffering we go through, that we get on our knees, we look up to you, and we glorify you for it. Just as the disciples did, Father. That we say we, are, we, are, we were worthy to suffer for righteousness sake. Because we have Jesus who did it first. So Lord, I pray to you now, Lord, that you move, you move Jesus in this room. That you move through our people that this week we react uncommonly according to the world for the suffering that we're going through. And that if suffering comes in the future, Father, this is in our arsenal. We know, God, we know that it's coming. We know that persecution is coming. We can see it all throughout the world. It's just a matter of time before it's here in these 50 states. And so, Father, I pray, prepare our hearts for it. Armor us up, God, with your word. So when that suffering and that persecution comes, we can stand just like you stood and act just like you acted and be living stones just like you, Father. So Jesus, we pray this. We worship you, Father. We do this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Church, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.